Hi, I'm Mo Crum. And I'm Harrison Crum. And we're the Crummy Marathoners. This podcast is for beginners by beginners. If you're thinking about running your first marathon or half marathon or are in the process, this is for you. We realized as we were training that many resources out there expect people to know what they're doing when marathon training. Well, think of this as a marathon training guide for dummies. We'll go through many of the questions we have as we make our way through the beginning of our running journey and what we have learned. If we can inspire others to run a marathon, then we consider this a success. On today's episode, we talk to the incredibly inspiring military and law enforcement veteran, Adrian Pruitt, who shares his story of how he went from being bedridden for 10 years to slowly working his way up to a half marathon. Welcome to episode 14 of the Marathon Training for Beginners podcast. Hello, friends. We are so happy to be with you today. And everybody, I'm just super excited. I've got to let you know how amazing my wife is. Okay. Can we all just take a minute to tell Mo how awesome she is? Send her a message. No, no. Talk her up because, guys, she just surprised me. We were literally going on our nightly run. And she turns to me and says, Harrison, I I have to tell you something. And you know those types of people who they'll do that. Like they'll say, oh, never mind. I shouldn't say it. Or they'll say, oh, guess what I heard about so-and-so. Oh, never mind. I shouldn't say. Mo can do that sometimes. (laughs) And this time she started to do it. And I said, no. I said, come on. You have to tell me. And she spilled the beans. Well, and this is... Half of me is glad I spilled the beans and the other half of me is totally heartbroken because I arranged this um, and kept it a secret for so long. He's literally going tomorrow night. Um, Going where? We haven't told them yet. Oh, well, him and like five of his closest friends are going on a road trip. They're going to go to California safely and um, just have a guy's trip. He hasn't had a guy's trip in like over 10 years. The last one was like right after I graduated from high school. Yeah. And he talks about that trip all the time. And I knew with him celebrating his big 30th, I would do something special for him since we, you know, didn't do a huge celebration, but I was going to keep it a surprise. And unfortunately too many logistical things came into play with us like getting the keys to our house tomorrow and then starting demo on Saturday and then Harrison's crazy work schedule. I had to tell him and it pains me and all of his friends are upset because they were going to plan some like crazy kidnapping him with pantyhose, surprising him. <laughs> it was going to be awesome. And I'm just. But really what wife does that? I mean, what wife plans a getaway for you and five of your closest friends? I mean, Mo's just amazing. No, you guys. plenty of Wives. I've that. never heard of a wife doing okay. that. Well, I'm very excited for you, sweetheart. I had I no idea so... until tonight. I know, and that's what's like, oh, dagger the heart. I'm super excited. I, oh. I honestly am so excited. Uh, me and some of my closest friends took a senior trip right after high school. And kind of in memory of that, we're all turning 30 this year. And so we're all kind of taking this trip. Well, I'm just so excited. I, I had no idea. Oh, and doesn't that pain you? Okay, I love surprises. (laughs) It just pains me so much. But really, there's a lot that if it was a different weekend, I I think I would have absolutely kept it. But there are too many things going on. Too many, yeah. Like she said, I'm we're getting the keys to our brand new house, and I know, guys, we've been talking a lot about this house and living with the in laws and all of that. And this isn't an episode of Fixer Upper, but it is demo day. (laughs) coming up so yeah and he's probably gonna be absent from Day. <laughs> <laughs> i won the lottery there Real. so we're really excited but we have a lot of big things coming um so as we've said before if episodes are a little bit sporadic uh that's why and i know what you're thinking you know another bonus episode we've been doing a lot of these bonus episodes but you know with covid going on and our living situation it's just it's really been unrealistic for us to uh, have a regular seasoned schedule So, um, but I want you all to know, and Mo wants you all to know that we are coming out soon with Mm -hmm. season two and we're so excited. Mm -hmm. 
We've got a lot of big interviews lined up that we can't tell you about yet because it's a surprise. Mm -hmm. A lot of tips and a lot of tricks to make you the best runner and best version of yourself that you can be. It's really exciting, especially he just told me an interview he scored today and I was like, whoa, that's going to be cool. (laughs) Yeah. So we're excited about some of those coming up. All right. And now everyone's favorite part of the show. Shout outs. Shout outs. It's really cool because we have been able to reach 45 states, 30 countries. 30 countries. That's really cool. This is way bigger than Mo and I ever pictured it would be. No. And we know that we've just scraped the surface. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's the coolest thing about doing this podcast is making these connections with all of our friends and fellow runners and just everyday I'm not going to say average because we're not average. We're all extraordinary people. That's right. (laughs) Everyone who runs is extraordinary. And to Mo's point, I mean, this running community is so tight knit. Everyone's Mm -hmm. got each other's backs. And there's so many more of us worldwide than I think any of us imagined. And not only that, there's more and more every day. And there's people who never considered themselves to be runners that are now mm-hmm. starting to run, not because of this podcast, but, you know, for a lot of reasons, maybe some from this podcast, but, you know, there's so many people out there who are finding the joy in running. And ultimately that's our mission is to help more of those people find the joy in training for a marathon. Mm-hmm. So our first shout out comes from our friend, Andy from the UK. Our first shout out, not our first listener from the UK. First yeah. shout out to yeah, the UK. Yeah, that's really cool. So Andy says... Hi, I follow Running With Twins. Yay. That was me. And she posted that she was going to be on your podcast. So I downloaded it, really enjoyed, and it just went from there. I've listened to a few of your podcasts, and I'm hoping they will give me the joy of running back after nearly 12 months off with four herniated discs in my lower back. Keep up the great work. Oh, Andy, sending you so much love and encouragement for your journey back to running and thanks for being here with us and we're sorry that you've had to go through these injuries but yeah. I'm so glad that you're back oh yeah that's so cool i can't wait to hear how your progress yeah. goes keep us posted our next listener is from the philippines his name is yosef brian and he said hi recently tuned into your podcast i'm excited to achieve my goal of running a half marathon and later on a full one god bless you and your family Sending my regards from the Philippines. So cool. And as always, I asked him, you know, how'd you hear about us? How'd you find our podcast? And he said, you know, he'd been looking around the internet for ways um, to help him achieve his goal of running a marathon, but they're mostly pros and quite already there. He said he's not there yet and and he needed something to help him get there. And um, we're really glad that he's been able to find that. And thanks for tuning in, Yosef. Thank you. Thank you. And our last shout out of the day comes from our beloved Massachusetts. Oh, you didn't tell me this. Yeah, we're so, anytime we hear from someone from Massachusetts, we get really excited because. Yeah, near and dear to our heart. Oh, near and dear to our heart. I miss it so She's much. from the North Shore. Beautiful area. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And she, she just said that she found us on Spotify and that she loves that, you know, it's not from a professional or elite point of view. And we yeah. hear that a lot. Yeah. That when she was looking around for podcasts, you know, that have to do with running, a lot of times she just can't relate. Yeah. So she really likes uh, everything that we've talked about so far, feels that it's been a good balance. But thank you so much for listening. Her name is Morgan Monroe. Thanks, Morgan. Ooh, cool name. Totally. Yeah. Well, thanks, friends from the UK and the Philippines and Massachusetts. And as always, if you have questions or want to share some feedback with us, we're always happy to hear it. Mm-hmm. But today's episode is with Adrian Pruitt, and he is someone that will move you to tears. Uh, so inspiring. And to give you just a little bit of a glimpse into his life, um, just imagine living day after day with so much pain that you can hardly get yourself out of bed um, and you can't even walk and you're just you're just in a state where there feels as though there's no hope. And that's where he found himself for 10 years, uh, but was able to work himself through it and find the strength within to go out. And just recently he ran a half marathon in honor of some of the fallen heroes. He's a a military and, and law enforcement veteran 
And so um, for his fallen brothers, he, he was able to do that. And so we're really excited for you to hear this. And without further ado, here is Adrian. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, hello. Good afternoon. How are you? Uh, it's a be in bed kind of day, but I'm all right. Well, hey, thank you for uh, taking some time today to sit down and talk to me. I'm, I'm really excited. I saw your post on, on Facebook in the, the runners group, and I was really impressed with what I saw in your story, and I was really blown away. So um, I want to back up to the very beginning of, of kind of your, your running journey. So, so did you start um, just recently or have you been kind of running your whole life? I actually started running probably in about the seventh grade when I found out I couldn't play football due to some ear issues I had. And the football coach suggested I try out for track. And so the high hurdle and 800 meters what got me started. Right on. And so, as I understand it, you had a, a long career in the military and law enforcement. If you wouldn't mind touching a little bit on, on what you've done up to this point for, for your career. So, I enlisted in September of 1990. I started out in the security police career field as a law enforcement officer. And I did that till probably late 90s when I went into the infantry side and convoys and counter and anti-terrorism side of the career field. And after about three years tour in the Middle East, I came back and about late 2001, I decided it's time to retrain and to get into another career field. And so I started out in Space Command and I was eventually medically retired out of Space Command. I got you. So where are you originally from? Originally born in Austin, Texas, grew up in San Antonio and was also a military brat. So I've traveled pretty much around the entire world. I think I figured out about three times. <laughs> I've been to about 44 states and almost every country except maybe a handful in the world. Got to be and see a lot of places. And where are you at now? Now I'm in outside of Colorado Springs, Colorado. Okay. So what do you like better, Colorado or Texas? Well, I love Colorado. I miss the people and the food of Texas, but... I love the scenery and weather and obviously the mountains here in Colorado. Sure. So does it make it more difficult to, to run in the elevation in Colorado or did you adapt pretty quickly? I think I've adapted pretty well. I think the dry climate here and the lower humidity is actually what helps me with my physical ailments, whereas the heat and humidity kind of kill me, although I do miss the lower elevation and being at sea level is definitely a lot easier for running. <laughs> sure. Now you, you brought up your, your ailments. And, and so I want to touch on that a little bit, but before we do, um, you mentioned you kind of started running in, in seventh grade and then before you, you retired, uh, were you doing any running while you were in the military? Was it kind of just for PT kind of stuff? Or uh, can you tell me a little bit about your activity before uh, all your health issues started coming up? Sure. So obviously in the military, especially in my first career field, 
physical fitness and running was definitely a high priority just because the level of work that we had to do to stay alive and to keep other people alive, we definitely had to be healthy and fit. So in the beginning, you know, I was just running, you know, my mandatory mile and a half to two miles. When I got into the infantry side of things, of course, that was a more demanding job. And so the miles bumped up from there. And that's probably when I really started to get back into long distance and trail running, which is what I've always enjoyed. And to do five, 10 miles a day was really just kind of for fun and enjoyment, but obviously keeping my fitness up as well. One of my coworkers suggested, since I was always running our squad everywhere and going, trying to push them as far as I could, he said, man, why don't you try out for the Air Force Marathon, which I did when I was 29. So that would have been 1999. And so that was my very first long distance race. And I really enjoyed that. And it was probably a year, year and a half after that, I decided to do the Philadelphia Marathon. So yeah, did a lot of running, a lot of cardio stuff, a lot of lot of strength training. Never been much for weights in the gym, but always anything in the outdoors. Did a lot of ocean kayaking when I was stationed out in California and really loved that. And so, you know, that requires a lot of core and upper arm strength. So yeah. forever doing push-ups and that has its own challenges because then you get into the one-arm push-ups and who could do <laughs> how many and everything's timed in the military. So Right, right. Well, that hits close to home because my little brother, he's an infantry, um, currently stationed out in uh, Kentucky, but I, I know it's kind of close over there to Nashville. I can't remember the name of the of the base off, off the top of my head. So can you tell me what, what happened when you all of a sudden had to retire from the military? You said because of physical reasons. What what was going on? So in um, November, well, let me start in 2007. I just, my wife and I got married in January of 2007. We were stationed here. We met and we're stationed here in Colorado. We went out to Cal- Central Coast of California. And so by November of 2007, I mean, that whole first year of 2007 was just great. You know, new marriage and new career opportunities and living in a new state and just enjoying the ocean. And then 11 months later, 10, 11 months later, I woke up. It was November 7th, I believe, of 2007 with the sharp stabbing pain in my left wrist. And at first I thought maybe I just had sprained it doing push-ups or hauling the kayak out of the ocean. And I didn't really think much of it. But within a couple of weeks, the pain had kind of moved up my left arm and By the, I want to say the middle of December, it was to the point where I couldn't even get out of bed anymore just from the severity and intensity of the pain, which was starting to take over both my arms at that point, and then eventually moved into my legs and put me to where I couldn't get out of bed, and I was using a wheelchair the majority of the time just to be able to get around if I could get out of bed. Wow. So a lot of people will, they'll wonder what what was it? You know, you started having this pain. That's not necessarily a normal thing was it neurological or do you have a diagnosis did you understand at that point what it was so at that point I still didn't understand what it was like I said it started out you know as kind of a stabbing and burning pain and within a couple weeks I couldn't even use my left hand my initial diagnosis was complex regional pain syndrome type 2 there's been some speculation of MS or parts of Parkinson's disease and still no real official diagnosis other than the CRPS because they can't figure it out. You know, I've been had multiple MRIs and CAT scans and have told that I have black spots on my brain, but they tell me not to worry about it, which I says, well, is it normal to have black spots on your brain? And they say, well, they just want to keep reevaluating. So I'm hmm. still trying to find the right specialist to get the right answers. Although I've, after this period of time, I've kind of given up on relying on doctors and the medical system to get solutions to my issues. Sure. Well, so you were going through all this in 2007 and it's now 2020 and you don't really have a a clear uh, description of what it is exactly that you're going through. And I'm sure there's other people that have something that you're going through because I can't imagine this is just uh, something that would happen only to you. Um, so that I can understand your frustration with the the system not being able to give you the the solutions that you're looking for. It, this kind of uh, reminds me we we spoke to a, a lady 
out in Texas named Rhonda, who was diagnosed with Parkinson's at a really young age. And um, she discovered that physical activity was actually able to, to almost not cure her, but ease her symptoms. Was that the case for you at all? Or, or were you not able to get out of bed or do anything with, with, this, uh, with this disease? In the beginning, you know, it was probably till the spring of 08 that I got to the point where I was just unable to perform any function for myself, you know, let alone getting out of bed. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't dress myself. I couldn't bathe myself. Um, I had special space type titanium silverware that, you know, was about $50 per each utensil that you could adjust and was so lightweight and kind of fat so I could get my fingers around it without having to have a tight grip. And I was able to get some specialized tools and equipment to help me help myself along with, you know, my wife giving me the support. And when you go from being pretty active and at the top of your career and having your life go perfectly as planned and, you know, planning out your hopes and dreams with your new spouse and trying to eventually start a family and all the things you want to do and the places you want to go and see together. And then all of a sudden that's kind of ripped out from under you. It's uh, definitely, you know, you have the physical stuff that you have to deal with, but with that comes the mental and emotional side as well. I'm not sure if I answered your questions because with talking about it, it kind of spins up things not only in my head, in my head, but just also in my heart and emotions because it's still, it's not something I've overcome. It's something I've learned to adapt to and live with daily, even sure. 13, coming up on 13 or 13 years later. Yeah. No, that I'm so sorry that this happened to you. And, and I think your story is inspiring in so many ways and we'll get to that part of it but you know at this stage of the game you were probably in a really dark place can you talk about maybe some of the treatments that you were going through and uh, maybe some of the 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 battles that you were were facing so I, I wouldn't really say I've had much treatments the first thing was just a lot of testing a lot of injections a lot of scans uh, there's a thing called a nerve conduction study, which if you've never heard of it, it's probably one of the most painful things I've experienced. And I've been hit by a few cars, so that should tell you something. <laughs> wow. They, kinda, they hook you up to electrodes on your fingers and toes, and, you know, not at one time, but each extremity individually and kind of send a volt of uh, electricity through your body. And it kind of goes up your extremity and back down to the machine to register if there's any disturbances in the nerve areas. And so those have been, I've had a couple of them and they're very excruciatingly painful. And of course they've come back with, well, there's some minor issues there, but nothing that would warrant this level of um, disability that you're having. And then of course the MRIs and the CAT scans, physical therapy. And after all the initial stuff, then, you know, most doctors say, well, let's just send you to pain management. So then that's another beast within itself. I mean, it can be very beneficial for some things, and there's people that definitely need that. And I think pain management can be a very great tool if properly used, but back in the early 2000s or mid-2000s, I guess, the answer was just kind of, and I know the doctor's hearts were in the right place, and man, this guy's in pain, he's suffering, so let's just give him everything narcotic-wise to relieve the pain. Well, in the beginning, you know, that was a good thing because it did take the edge off on a lot of things and helped me to be able to get out of bed more and at least transition to sitting there laying in my recliner in the living room. But through long-term use and, you know, you start out on the low end of the spectrum of narcotics and then you start bumping that up because the lower level stuff's not working anymore. And then all of a sudden you need more and more and stronger stuff and more powerful stuff and more potent stuff. And then with that, People say, the doctor says, well, if you truly have pain, you don't get addiction. And that's just, I feel, a completely false statement because your body does get addicted to that narcotic and not only the narcotic, but the high that comes from, you know, with it. So I went down that road and then they added spinal cord injections and they wanted to add a spinal cord stimulator to that. So I had a couple trial runs of that. And that is not a pleasant, uh, fun experience because they 
actually put the spinal cord stimulator on your spine and you have a little box outside of your spine and you kind of have to sit pretty motionless for three days and try it out and see if it works. And the benefits weren't worth me getting it permanently implanted, although I did try it twice over the period of about a year and a half, two years. And I just decided it wasn't for me. And to this day, I'm glad I made that decision. But back to the narcotics, you know, then comes the antidepressants because you are incapable of doing so much. And I lost a lot and not just my bodily functions and abilities to manage my own health care and my daily activities, but, you know, losing my career, getting medically retired. You know, my wife and I almost became homeless. We lost our home. We lost our car. It took almost two years for me to fully get my retirement paycheck because of the way I was medically retired. So thankfully, there were churches out there and food pantries that we relied upon to feed ourselves. And fortunately, by God's grace, we were able to get a very inexpensive house in a small town in Texas and be able to swing that mortgage payment and get a car. And uh, we were basically living off under $1,000 a month for a while. And me not being able to work, obviously, and then my wife was unable to work or finish her school because she was my caretaker pretty much 24-7. And she was at the point where she didn't even want to leave me because I was so depressed and so angry and hurt and frustrated and just had a, a whirlwind of emotions. So she was afraid constantly that, you know, I was going to take my life and end things. So then they had the wow. benzodiazepines, stuff like Valium to try to relax you and calm you down. And then, you know, that brings its own set of troubles and addictions. And like I said, it, all the medications, if used correctly, can be beneficial. And for short term, I think they're a great tool. But when you rely on them long term and over the years, then I think they become more damaging. Sure. At least, at least for me, they have been. Well, bless your, your wife for, for sticking with you this, this whole time and being your cheerleader and, and helping out with everything. How long would you say you were uh, in a situation where you were bedridden or confined to a wheelchair where you really couldn't walk? So I probably was by December 07, January of 08 was when, you know, it just got to the point where getting out of bed took everything I had. I mean, I had some, in the beginning days, I had days where, you know, I was just determined to go to work. So and I didn't want to be medically retired. And, you know, I, it was my goal to do 30 years in the military, not just short of 19, because I spent my whole life trying to get there and I loved what I did. And my wife would be asleep and I'd get dressed in my uniform and get in the car and pop a bunch of pain pills, and which wasn't a smart thing to do. But, you know, I lived 45 minutes from the base, but I was determined to get there at all costs. And, you know, so I would get myself there and I'd get there before anybody else, especially my boss. He couldn't yell at me for, you know, what was I thinking coming to work? And then I'd just lay on the floor and I would be in tears. And one of my coworkers would come in or the people that worked for me and catch me in my office. Like, oh, my God, Sergeant Pruitt, what are you doing here? And I'm going to tell the commander and, you know, you've got to go home. You're not even supposed to be here. So I tried that off and on for about six months. <laughs> just out wow. of you know, a, a determination to get better and be able to work and contribute and not have them, you know, kick me out of the military. And yeah. finally, after, after that, I just, I couldn't even do that anymore, you know, because then it, somebody would have to drive me home and they'd have to drive my car home. And then I kind of get chewed out for not following the doctor's orders and, you know, endangering myself and other people. So I kind of gave up on trying to do that. So, it, you know, it wasn't that I was like mandated to be in bed or, but it was just so excruciatingly painful to get out of bed. I just had no internal drive to do that. It wasn't worth my intensifying of the pain and suffering to force myself to get out of bed. Yeah. And how long did that go on for? Um, about 10 years. I mean, I had sporadic breakthroughs. Um, I think that came from a lot of people were praying for me. Um, I think some of that came from medication changes. Uh, but it wasn't anything long term, you know, it was maybe an hour or two here or there every four to eight months type of thing. Wow. So, yeah, it was probably about a good solid from 07 to January, February of 2017. So then that kind of rolls around 2017. And uh, obviously there's a 
a happy ending to this story, or at least a happy ending in, in the making. And so where was the light at the end of this tunnel? What, what happened? Well, it actually started in 2013 when we were living on the West Coast. Um, I just kind of decided, you know, the medications were no longer doing anything. And I'd been in a wheelchair the majority of the time to get out. I've used a wheelchair to get out of bed and get around up to 2013. And one day I just woke up and I put my wheelchair up on Craigslist. I said, I'm looking for another veteran who needs a wheelchair. And I, I found a Vietnam veteran to donate it to. And my wife just kind of looked at me like, what are you doing? But she's always known how driven I am when I set my mind to something. So she's always been 110% supportive, even when it seemed crazy. And I said, well, you know, I'm tired and I'm just frustrated and I don't want to live. I can't live like this. This is not, it's not even a way to live. It's not life. And I said, I got my cane. I got crutches. I got a walker. I'm just going to do my best. And at that time, the VA and America was figuring out that, you know, maybe continued narcotics weren't the answer to people's continued pain. Like I right. said, it has its place. I'm not saying we should take it all away. Definitely has its place, but you have to use it correctly. And so I just gave away the wheelchair and I started taking myself off medications. I went through cold turkey withdrawal, which I highly do not recommend. It's probably a very, it is a very dangerous thing to do but I'd already done it a couple other times throughout the years, just trying to clear my mind and clear my body. So I knew what to expect. I knew what was coming. I kind of knew how to manage that. But definitely, if you're going to go that route, you need to seek medical advice to do that. But so I started down that road in 2013. And it was it was an up and hill roller coaster ride and still a lot of time in bed and still I didn't leave my house much, honestly, and if I did, I did have my walker cane with me, uh, to which both I still use to this day. And when I moved to Colorado in 2017, I was 200, almost 250 pounds. I'm 5'11", and that's about 75, 80 pounds over the weight I've ever been my whole entire life. I've normally been between 160 to 180 at the most. And I, you know, we had three young boys at the time. We had two and uh, one came shortly after we moved here, but I said, I can't, they're getting older. I'm missing their life. My oldest one, you know, I missed most of his childhood from being in bed and being medicated, just living in so much pain. And so I just started changing my mindset even before I got here. But I said, when I get to Colorado, because I've always loved the mountains, it's been my peaceful spot. It's, you know, it's where I go to heal from things I've seen overseas and parts of the job I've done from law enforcement. And I said, I'm just going to do something different. And what that different was, was changing my mindset, you know, obviously. And then the next thing was kind of just taking out a bunch of the junk food in my diet and not eating so much sweets. And it wasn't like my intention of I'm going to go on a strict diet of vegan or all protein or all carbs or whatever the hundred diets are out there. I just started with one small thing you know, sodas and then chips and then going to fast food restaurants and just kind of started adding things down the road. And I found a fitness program that was low intensity, no impact to help get me started, to help start building my strength. And my first class was four to seven minutes and it took me a good three months to get up to 30 minutes. And then eventually I was able to do the whole 50 minute class. And, but to do that, you know, I had to stay in bed and go do the class and come home and be in bed for half the day. And, and during that time, I was also getting off the final medications that I was on. And that took me about six months. And then it was really, you know, just a desire to have a better quality of life, to be a more active father for my kids and um, kind of give, be a better husband for my wife and give her back some of the things. Well, a lot of things she'd sacrifice for me over the previous 10 years. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's, it's touching. And, and uh, I, I love to hear that you were able to slowly work through it. It sounds like through giving up the medications, um, a new, you know, a change of scenery, going to this new gym that allowed you to do some sort of core exercises, some low impact exercises. Um, was there Anything else that kind of contributed to your getting better? Uh, yeah, mindset is definitely a huge part of it. You know, it's easy when you lose so much and you're dealing with so much, whether it's physically, 
emotionally, financially, emotionally, all the stuff we've dealt with. But even just one of those things can be overwhelming. What I've learned through all this is that, you know, it's real easy to look inward and then here comes the depression and the feeling sorry for yourself and the feelings of inadequacy and uh, the inability to accomplish what you once did. Or there's just so many emotions that come with all that, which is why I'm focusing on writing a book to share this story because trying to encapsulate it in a short podcast is kind of hard to do. But yeah, what I've learned is that by looking outward and putting my focus on other people who are hurting, who are struggling, who are having a hard time, who are in less fortunate situations than I'm in, it's really helped me to take the attention off myself and what I can't do and what my inabilities are and what my challenges and struggles are on a daily basis and realize that um, what my blessings are and all the great things that, you know, God has done for me in my life. Sure. So at at some point you decided to start walking or running. And I think what a lot of people will find amazing about this story is that you just completed your first half marathon since of course, you know, your medical challenges Can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Right. So probably late summer, early fall of 2017, uh, we were living in an apartment complex in the middle of Colorado Springs, and we were blessed to be in a great location where even though it was in the middle of the city, it was on the side of a canyon and a ridgeline, and we were surrounded by forest, and there was, you know, hills outside the complex, and my sons, of course, are always like most kids, you know, dad, I want to go to the special candy store. I want to go to the cool toy store. And I said, well, I'll make you a deal. If we can, if you guys start walking with me every day, and at the time they were five and or just turned five and just turned nine. And I said, if you guys can help me to start walking every day and we could do the Manitou Incline, which if you're not familiar with that, you can Google it. It's Manitou Incline in Manitou Springs, Colorado, on the side of Pikes Peak. Uh, it's basically railroad ties straight up the side of the mountain. I, I don't want to quote the exact number of steps or distance, but it's it's tough, <laughs> and it's about straight up. Yeah. Then if we can accomplish that in about three or four months, then we will go to your special a candy store and toy store and you guys can pick out you know whatever you want to get and so they were all for that so my wife's like kind of looking at giving me that sideways glance again and I says I got this baby you know I'm going to do this no matter what even if I got to do it on crutches or crawl or I'm going to do it and she says okay babe you know you've been working hard this past six months so I, I believe you you know I've seen you push yourself and so I got my walker out and there was a in our apartment complex, it was almost a complete square, and it was uphill two sides and obviously down the other two. And so we started just outside the door of the apartment, and it probably took me a good solid month to get completely around the, the complex, you know, to, to where I could do it without having to stop and sit on my walker. And, you know, my boys were super encouraging with that. And, I was getting a lot of looks like, what is this guy out here doing with his walker? You know, because it's like I said, we're on the side of this canyon. And after that, I said, okay, well, let me just go to my cane. And so I started using my cane and then we start kind of venturing out on the trails. And so I was using my hiking sticks out there. And then I realized, hey, I can walk out here with both hiking sticks and I don't get all these crazy looks because people think, oh, you're just out there hiking. And they don't realize that I'm actually using those sticks for support and balance. (laughs) And then, you know, because when you have handicap plates and a handicap placard and you look as young as I do, people say, oh, what's that guy doing? He doesn't need that. And he's, he looks perfectly healthy. There's not even anything wrong with him. They don't sure. see the challenges and struggles. So then we started walking outside the complex and once again, using the hiking sticks. And we were at the top of the hill and going down was easy, but coming up was harder. And uh, my boys just stuck with me through it. And every day, you know, after school, it was like, hey, let's go walk in. And part of their reward was to stop by the office. And the ladies in the office were great. And they'd always give the boys a treat. And then we started venturing out into the city and then hit more of the trails. And then, you know, by the fourth month, I said, okay, guys, it's time to go hit the Manitou Incline. And so we got up at four in the morning and drove over there and took the shuttle over to the base of the incline. And it took us, I don't remember, it was quite a few hours. 
not because once you get up it, then you got to hike down the bar trail. That's B-A-R-R. And it's about three or four mile hike down the trail because it's not straight down, obviously. And then you got to get back to the shuttle bus. And so the boys were smoked and they were mad about three quarters of the way down the bar trail, kind of like <laughs> I tricked them. Yeah. But you know, we, we accomplished it together and we kind of got a standing ovation at the top. Not so much for me, but because the older folks like, oh my God, I never, my grandkids are about their age and I didn't think kids could accomplish this. And my youngest, he's always been a kid. And like I said, he was five at the time. Some of those railroad ties, we kind of had to scale up them to get over them. And I just looked at their tenacity and I said, man, you know, they're doing this for me and, you know, they can push through this and for them you know it was this giant mountain that they just conquered and yeah so I was pretty active but you know winters in Colorado can be kind of brutal and so I took some time off we wound up I mean God's been so good to us we were able to build a have a house built and um, so we were going through building a house and buying a home and moving and so I was kind of taking some time off and then of course our youngest one came and he was a super tiny baby, so he required a lot of attention. And, you know, amongst all that stuff and still, you know, it took a full year to be completely free and get all the medications out of my system. Even though I'd stopped taking over half a year earlier, it's they're, like the benzodiazepine, they, they stay in your system for a long time. So it took a year to 18 months to completely get that stuff out of me. Right. And... You know, I still eat junk food. I love pizza. I love fried chicken. I'm from the South, so everything with gravy and fried is heaven to me. And, <laughs> you know, my wife's constantly, baby, you need vegetables, you need vitamins, you need to eat whole grain, you know, grain free and gluten free and sugar free. And I'm like, woman, leave me alone. I want to die happy. But <laughs> so she's, she's on me a lot. And so it was earlier this year. You know, right before COVID-19 kind of swept across our country and I just started getting out. I mean, I was walking periodically and doing a couple hikes and going out in the field behind my house and kind of shuffling and speed walking with my hiking sticks and starting to take the baby out in the jogging stroller. And of course, then you look cool because you're a dad out there with the jogging stroller and people are like, ah, oh, check out that cool dad, you know, but they don't realize that that's kind of my cover for instead of having my walker out there, I got my stroller. So right when COVID hit, you know, I could feel the tension, not only in our house, but in the neighborhood and the stress. And so I told my older son, I said, Hey buddy, why don't we challenge some of our neighbors to this walking competition? And at the end of this challenge, we'll go, I'll go up to Denver and get the winner their own special cheesecake. And of course, you know, he's a, almost a preteen or he is a preteen. So, you know, they love junk food. He's like, Heck yeah, dad, let's do it. And so I sent out a text and said, hey, we're going to start this on April 27th. And this was probably the first part of March or March 27th. Well, it was April 27th, but it was around the first, second part of March. I said, so give everybody time to get their self right. And they said, oh, yeah, okay, we'll join that. And so I just started walking farther, you know, when my kids were at home and they had to do PE. So, uh, you know, every day I said, okay, let's go walking in the field. And you know, for them, it was looking for rocks and playing in the dirt. And, but we just started adding distances and I was starting to feel pretty good. And I said, well, I told my wife, and I said, man, I'm, I'm starting to feel better with this and feeling stronger. And I feel like I want to do something more. I just don't know what yet. And then, of course, you know, the people in the competition start talking smack and, oh, I'm going to get you. or I got this number of miles or steps today and I bet you can't keep up with me. And so that was just kind of encouraging for me to keep going. And my immediate neighbors, they kind of have, they know a little bit of our history because, you know, we've only been here two years, but they know a little bit. But So they've been super supportive through all this. And I said, you know, I told my wife, I said, man, I really would like to get in some type of race or run. And, um, but, you know, nothing's happening. Or And my friend of mine, she's doing a walk or run across Tennessee. And so I messaged her and I says, hey, how can I get in a virtual race? And so I don't know, find a group or Google it. That's what I did. And so I started Googling. I found a Honor the Fallen 21K through checking around. And I said, and that, that sounds like a pretty cool thing. So that's 13.1 miles. And, you know, then I had this thought of like, what am I thinking? Like, I'm not even close to being ready for a half marathon because, you know, by then this is the end of March. We're coming into April. And I 
I said, uh, I don't know. I'll think about it. So I just kept walking and finally I started walking, jogging, shuffling, falling forward, whatever you want to call it. And I was at about four miles and and I said, you know, we're coming to the end of April. And I said, I think I'm going to check that out again. So I checked it out. It was like two in the morning because I still deal with a lot of pain and sleep is really an issue for me. And, you know, I still to this day have to spend a lot of time in bed. I just made a post yesterday because I don't think people realize that, you know, if, if it's a good day for me, I get, I say I get like I'm paroled. I get eight to 12 hours if I'm lucky to be out of bed. And I just try to cram as much as I can in that eight to 12 hours and people say, well, why don't, why don't you slow down or balance it out? And I said, well, because, you know, I'm not guaranteed from five minutes from now, if I'm going to be able to walk. So why right. I can walk and why I can move and why I can be out of bed, I'm going to take care of my yard. I'm going to help out around my house. I'm going to play with my kids. I'm going to be there for my wife. I'm going to go walk, you know, and just live. Sure. And so I committed to that uh, half marathon and then, I felt pretty sick for two days afterwards because I'm very big on um, just the way I grew up in my military background and being in law enforcement that, you know, if you make a commitment, you fall through with it at all costs, you know, yeah, absolutely. Next, next to death. Sure. And I take, I take that very serious. So <laughs> I said, man, I got to find, I got to find something to help motivate me to, stick with this commitment other than just my own willpower because I, I was terrified and I says well you know I've obviously I know a lot of guys that were killed in Iraq and Afghanistan and um, I'm close with several of the family members that lost their sons and daughters and I says man I'm gonna I know Brandon Meyer and his family his mom Gina and his dad Terry out in California and his sister and his wife I said you know Brandon's been gone 12 years and four months of as of yesterday and it wasn't only Brandon but you know it was four of his teammates that were also killed by roadside bomb in Mosul Iraq and I said I bet his parents are probably and their parents are probably thinking that you know man it's been so long people are forgetting my sons and I said I just want them to know that we haven't forgot you know and I still think about them and yeah um so I said well so I printed out their pictures and I printed out their name and I asked my really crafty neighbor if she could help me decorate my stroller because I'm not a crafty person. And so she did that and I was like, hey, okay, I guess I really got to do it. But I didn't tell anybody other than my family and my neighbor that I was committed to this. And then it was a couple days before I told my small group through our Bible study, I said, man, I'm going to really need y'all to pray for me because I may have overcommitted myself to this half marathon and I've only done six miles up to this point and I feel like death when those six miles are over. So um, every, I had a lot of people praying for me. And of course I always have my wife's support and my boys and, you know, my neighbors were been on it. So I mapped out the route probably a couple of weeks before Memorial day. And of course here in Colorado, we always get these crazy storms within a week of Memorial day. if not on Memorial day. Last year we had a crazy blizzard and this year, had this crazy rain and the temperatures dropped down in the thirties and my wife's like, Hey, what are you going to do? You know, it's supposed to be like almost a hurricane on Memorial day. And I said, I don't know. I'm just trusting that God's going to take care of this and give me good weather. And she said, why don't you run it today? It's Saturday. It's nice. And I said, Nope, it's not what I committed to. I committed to Memorial day. And sure enough, the weather came Saturday night, all through Sunday and the Monday morning. And She's like, I don't know. And I said, it'll be all right. So I started late Monday and I got 13 flags for each mile that I was running for this each year of the soldiers that have been killed since they've wow. been gone. And yeah, I start, start out with my stroller and took off. I saw the picture and it, it was, I was really touched by, by seeing that because, you know, here's someone who has a hard, hard enough time walking and needs some kind of support. And so you were able to figure out that if you, that if you use the, the stroller, it kind of supports you. And then in there you had the picture of the, of the soldiers. And so um, I'm going to post that to our, our social media accounts so that you can see, um, or so all of our listeners, listeners can, can get to know you and understand your story. But I, I just think that's so amazing. So the 13 flags were across each mile marker and, and you, you finally finished obviously, cause you're here to tell the story. So how, how did you feel afterwards? Whew, uh... The last uh, quarter of a mile, I was 
so I was so focused and driven, but I was so emotional because on part of my playlist, the last part was the bagpipes of Amazing Grace and then Taps uh, because I knew that's what I needed to get me to finish. And I knew it would give me that drive that I needed. And it was also, you know, an honor and respect thing to the five soldiers and the over 7,000 that were killed in those two wars. But it was really cool because one of my neighbors that's in the walking competition had texted the neighbors on my street. And a lot of them were out there in their end of their driveways cheering me on and yelling and uh, playing their patriotic music. And so that just drove me, you know, to make the finish, the final push to my driveway. Yeah. And I want to say that last mile was just a forward stumble. But when I got to my yard, I just, because I had a big flag that I was carrying on top of the little flags on the stroller and, you know, almost a full-size flag. And I just kind of wrapped myself up on the chest and just fell in the grass and just started, you know, crying, <laughs> not only for them, but for myself and the fact that, and I reached my goal is super slow for the running world, but you know, my goal was under three hours and I was at 254, 256. Nice. Look, but That's amazing. I, yeah. I reached my goal. I finished the distance. I got to honor the soldiers and um, hopefully show people in the community and my sons, uh, you know, what you can do when you believe you have faith and you're determined and driven that, you know, no, nothing can stop you. To anybody listen, no matter how difficult things may seem or how bleak, just please know that there's always a way. And if you have the will and if you have that faith and it's okay to stumble and get delayed, but just keep getting back up and keep your focus out of your own head and push forward. Well, Adrian, I hope this isn't the end of your running journey. And I, and I hope you find uh, enjoyment and joy in, in continuing to run, whether it be different distances or different types of races. But I know that uh, your story is going to inspire so many people and, and let them know that, hey, I can do this too. So I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and I hope you'll keep it up and, and keep tabs on, on us and, and keep in touch and, and we'll be doing the same with you. I hope you have a, a great weekend uh, with your family, your wife, your kids, and um, we'll catch up with you soon. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you, Adrian. He's just incredible. I mean, so inspiring. I just, I'm in awe. And like, I don't know, I truly feel that if he can find the strength, despite everything that he went through and despite everything working against him, I feel like I can do that too. Totally. I think we all have our own struggles and he found a way to get past them. And I know that uh, it's going to be different for everyone, but set your mind to something. And as Rhonda said, when we interviewed her a few weeks ago, when you set your mind to something, your mind wants to be right. Mm. I think that's, that rings true with Adrian. And um, I I just appreciate that he served our country for so many years, but for him to have to put up with this and, and just, it's, it's really a sad thing, but I'm just so overjoyed to hear how he was able to overcome it. And for anyone listening who struggles with anything physical, mental, emotional, or whatever, just know that you're not alone. Uh, we love you all, and we are so excited that you're on this journey with us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So thanks for tuning in this week, and until next time. See you later. Follow us on Instagram at Crummy Marathoners. We'd love to hear your feedback and take any questions you might have. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you know when new episodes come out. And please leave us a five-star review so more people can join this runny journey with us. Our theme song is Change the World by Breck. You can find his music on Spotify. Search his name under B-R-E-K-K.